generally speaking, it has to be a, an income tax and withholding tax falls within that bucket and it has to be a tax payable by the Australian shareholder in this case. And that's why in the case of an individual who receives the dividend directly or through a trust, they should satisfy those requirements to utilise those fighters. You're listening to Australia's podcast for accountants. Tax Talks, the podcast to grow your firm. Welcome to episode 284 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. It has become relatively easy for you and your clients to invest in shares overseas. You just join an online share trading platform and qualify for global trading. But what are the tax implications when you do that, when you buy shares overseas? And should you buy in your individual name or through your family trust or through your company? This is what Clint Harding of Arnold Block Liebler in Sydney will discuss with you. So, I mean, the starting point with investing into foreign companies, and let's, as we discussed, talk about an, an individual, Paul, investing his million dollars in a range of investments overseas such that he's not sort of holding more than 10% in any of those target investments because that's when there's some more complicated rules apply. But the starting point is to understand, it's really not even an Australian question, it's to understand whether or not that foreign jurisdiction, well, there's two levels of foreign tax that will be paid. Presumably the company or the entity into which Paul invests will have paid or may have paid tax in their respective jurisdiction. So if it's a US company then and it's a C-Corp, then you can assume that that US company has paid some level of corporate tax. Let's assume it is. US and let's assume it's a big company like Apple or Tesla or yeah. Google. Yeah. Well, you're into very interesting issues then as to whether Apple and, and Google pay much tax in the US. Um, and we've seen 10 years of basis erosion and profit shifting measures at the OECD level trying to um, deal with some of that. But so you've got two levels of foreign tax, one paid by the company in its foreign jurisdiction. Let's just keep with it at that simple level. And then you've got a second potential layer of foreign tax, which is withholding tax. And that's particularly relevant when you start talking about investing in shares for the purposes of deriving dividend income. Uh, and so you need to look at that foreign jurisdiction uh, and determine whether or not that jurisdiction imposes a withholding obligation on the payor of that dividend such that that US company will withhold and deduct or deduct and withhold and remit to the US revenue authorities an amount of withholding tax on any dividend that it pays to you such that you receive a net amount. So let's take a simple example. If you take a US company, earns $100 profit, pays $21 of US tax. Let's forget about state taxes at the moment. Let's just assume it pays $21 of federal tax, leaves it $79 in the bank. And again, let's ignore FX movements. It will then pay that dividend of 79 cents to you in Australia. Question is what, if any, withholding tax is also payable on that. So there's sort of that dual level of tax. Now, there's not much you can do about that first level of taxation uh, in the sense that our foreign uh, income tax offset rules don't allow you, uh, apart from sort of a attribution sort of uh, route under the CFC rules in Part 10 of the 36 Act, but generally you, you can't as an Australian investor get a foreign tax offset for the underlying corporate tax paid by that foreign vehicle. So really then the question is around what is the withholding tax 
imposed by that foreign jurisdiction on any dividends coming into Australia? And can you or can't you get a foreign tax offset for that? And is it of any use to you if you do get it? So at the outset, we should note that not all foreign jurisdictions charge withholding tax. There's, there's a sizable number that don't. So for example, the United Kingdom and Hong Kong don't impose withholding tax on dividends. So you need to get foreign advice or presumably the company will give you a statement that will itemize any withholding tax that has been paid on that distribution. If you don't invest into a US company, but if you invest through the uh, London Stock Exchange, then there is no withholding tax on any of the dividends you receive. Yeah, so if you sorry, if you invest into a UK company through the the FTSE, then yeah, no no withholding tax payable by UK companies paying dividends to Australia. Same with Hong Kong, tends to be a feature of territorial based tax systems and maybe Singapore, but I mean you need to go and figure all of that out, but not all not all jurisdictions charge withholding tax. Generally tends to be those jurisdictions that try very hard to be sort of good holding company jurisdictions and things like that. So UK doesn't charge withholding tax on UK dividends, yeah. but the US does. So if, if you buy US shares through NASDAQ, yeah. then you do face the 15% withholding tax and there's really no way around it. Every dividend payment to small investors obviously yeah. would be subject to withholding tax, 15% yeah. withholding tax. That's correct. And and so you need to be, again, you need to be a little bit careful because there are tax treaties. So that's the agreement that the U, the US government, or I think Australia has 46 now. But anyway, the, they're the bilateral tax agreements that the Australian government enters into with other jurisdictions. And there's one with the US. Quite often, they will cap the rate at which withholding tax is applied. So basic rate under the US treaty is, is 15%, but there's a couple of other rates that can apply. For example, if you hold more than 10% of the voting rights in the US company, that dividend withholding tax rate drops to 5%. And in some circumstances, it can even drop to 0% if, if the Australian shareholder is itself a listed company or controlled by a listed company. So there's sometimes the staggered withholding rates. And, and uh, even in Australia, for example, if you're paying a dividend out of Australia, if it's fully franked, it's 0%. If it's unfranked, it's 30%. And then you need to apply on a treaty by treaty basis to see whether those withholding tax rates are capped. But at the end of the day, for small investors like John who are investing in listed US stocks, uh, presuming he's not going to hold 10% of them, then that US withholding rate should be 15%. Who does the withholding? Is it the company or the online platform? Well, that's a really good question. I think at prima facie, it's the company. At least I'm coming at it from an Australian perspective. Uh, there are certain examples where withholding obligations are shifted up the chain. Uh, certainly so with trusts in Australia and, and managed investment trusts um, if they pay to other entities. But I think where the platform in the US is presumably just acting as a conduit through which the money flows, I would have thought the primary obligation is a question of US tax law. I would imagine the primary obligation will sit on the US company to deduct and withhold and account for that to the US revenue authorities. But yes, and they that's something you'd would, have to ask a, a US tax lawyer. And they probably would have outsourced that to the share registry, like Boardroom, I think, is one. Yeah, Boardroom, Link, Computer Share, those, exactly. those guys. Probably would be done through those service providers on behalf of the company. Possibly. I don't know. But anyway, the, the check you get in the mail is going to be less. Um, well, checks are a thing of the past. The, <laughs> the payment notice you're going to get by email is going to have the withholding deducted because ultimately what you need. So there's a couple of key points and it 
builds a little bit on what you're talking about is that that withholding tax obligation is on the the US company to withhold at the time they pay the dividend. The actual tax liability is that of the non-resident or the Australian investor. It's actually tax that, and it works the same when you're paying dividends out of Australia, that liability is actually tax liability on the investor on US source income. It's just collected. It's Withholding tax is just a collection mechanism because obviously once money has left the country, it becomes very difficult for tax authorities to then collect any tax that's owed. And so the way that countries deal with that is through withholding mechanisms, but it's a key point when we come to talk about foreign tax offsets because one of the key requirements in order to be able to claim any sort of foreign tax offsets, they used to be called foreign tax credits, but that was changed uh, 2006, 2007 to a foreign income tax offset or FITO regime in Australia, is that the tax that you're claiming a effectively a credit for or an offset for has to be a tax liability of yours or tax paid on your behalf. So that's where withholding tax can give rise to FITOs because yes, it's being deducted and paid by the US company, but they're actually paying it on your behalf as the non-resident investor. Important consideration. That's a very good point when we come to talk about FITO. But now looking at the shareholders tax obligation in the US, with the withholding tax of 15%, that tax obligation is basically done and dusted. It doesn't matter whether the investment is as an individual or a trust or a company. With the payment of the 15% withholding tax, the shareholders' tax obligation in the US are settled, correct? Yeah, that's my understanding. I don't think, I think it works the same way here. I don't think most investors and in- Enlisted companies have to lodge US tax returns. I mean, that sense, I think the, the withholding tax is a final tax. There's no generally no requirement on there might be some forms. Sometimes you see W8 bins, some certain US forms you might need to rely on for treaty benefits. So there will generally be some compliance obligations that go with holding US stocks uh, for, for, for US purposes. But in, assuming you can navigate your way through all of those, then um, effectively the you're done and dusted. Because the W8 bin form is basically just to register, to p- provide your tax details, et cetera, to, to sort out the withholding, et cetera. But once that's done, yeah, yeah. so the W8 bin is basically just to register and to set it up. Yeah. And, and if there is concessional treaty benefits, then I think that forms where you sort of indicate why it's done. Because I, I suspect the US domestic rate of withholding on dividends is something north of 15%. So you may need to fill out that form in order to benefit from the 15% rate that's specified under the Australian US tax treaty. Yeah. So, but, but as you say, once you've done that form and, and that sort of sets the withholding rate, then once you've got your, um, once that's done, then, then that's the US side of the equation out of the way. And you can focus on sort of how to deal with that from an Australian perspective. Exactly. Let's do that now. And the big question is, of course, to what extent you can get a FITO for the withholding tax you paid in the US? Yep. So the, there's, there's the question of FITOs and then sort of how they pass through. So in a very simple example, if if we say John, he's only invested $100 because that's all I can think of with my limited maths okay. brain. But, okay. but let's assume that John has got the US company distributes $100 of profit on his investment. Uh, and he receives in his bank account $85, which is 100 less the 15 of US withholding tax paid. So John needs to look at whether or not he gets, well, f- the first port of call is John as an Australian resident is liable to include 
his worldwide, I mean, we, Australia tax is on a residence and source basis. So Australian residents pay Australian tax on their worldwide income. So there is uh, a starting obligation for John to include. And for those who are familiar with filling out tax returns, John will need to include those foreign dividends in his Australian tax return. And does he need to include the $100? He actually 85. Has. So let's assume he gets 85 cash. I think The, the way it generally works is he will need to include to the extent that he's paid foreign tax on that, the grossed up amount, which will be a hundred. And then he will work out, assuming he's got no other income for the moment, he will work out what his Australian tax liability is on that dividend and then apply to the extent that there's a, a FIDO, apply the foreign tax. And you need to work through the FITO provisions because they do cap. They, you, there's a mechanism by which those FITOs can be capped, but, but essentially speaking at a high level, um, assuming he's paying tax at 47 cents in the dollar on that dividend, he receives 100 of US income, has an Australian tax liability of 47 on that, receives a FITO of 15 for the withholding tax he's paid. And your maths is better than mine. What's that? 47 less 15 gives you 32. So he's got $32 of top-up tax effectively to pay on that dividend. And away he goes. When we used the example before, we started with $100 and then we deducted $21 of federal tax. And then we had $79 yeah, left. I, and then, I, I, I've got a calculator. <laughs> but now we changed the example now yeah. that we disregard the federal tax that has yeah. been paid at some stage. Now the dividend is $100. 15% have been withheld. So yeah. $85 are paid to John and John actually includes the $100 in his assessable income and yep. then hopefully receives a FITO of $15. Yeah, correct. Okay. Now, that's for an individual. A trust largely would do the same thing with the trust return. They would include the, the, the grossed up amount in the trust income and then either the, the trustee pays tax on that if no one's entitled to it, presently entitled under sort of Division Six treatment or the trust makes someone entitled to that foreign income. And so they will that will flow through to the beneficiaries and they should, the, the FIDO rules deal with it through trusts, but the result should be that that, that beneficiary also gets the benefit of the, um, and there's guidance on the ATO, but basically the, that foreign tax credit, albeit technically it's presumably tax paid by the Australian company on behalf of the trust, or the trustee, because the trustee is the legal and beneficial owner of those shares, that the ATO and the FITO rules operate such that that uh, individual beneficiary who has been made entitled to that foreign income should also get the corresponding FITO foreign tax offset that goes with it. So both individual and trust, it doesn't. The, the tax outcome is basically the same. You get a FITO for the withholding tax you pay. Yep. And I don't think, I mean, I, I have been asked in the past whether you can split FITOs from the ICA, uh, from the income to which it's attached. I don't think you can. So no. that might be something you want to get advice on, but I'm, I don't think you can artificially separate that at the trust level. No. Why you would yeah. do that, I don't know, but yeah. anyway. And, and then, of course, it's also that you only get a FITO if it is a tax that Australia would charge as well. So you wouldn't get a FITO for something that Australia isn't charging, correct? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the whole discussion on FITOs and there's all sorts of difficulties, but but generally speaking, it has to be a, an income tax uh, and withholding tax falls within that bucket and it has to be a tax payable by the Australian shareholder in this case. And that's why in the case of an individual who um, receives the dividend directly or through a trust, um, they should satisfy those requirements to utilize those FITOs, which brings us to 
investments held through a company because that's slightly slightly different treatment. And there we have the big issue that FITOs don't go into the franking credit account. Yeah. So the point would be that if a company, I'm just thinking out loud, I haven't prepared that well for this, but if a company receives that $85, it will presumably gross up that dividend as well and then work out its Australian tax liability on that dividend, which would be uh, let's, assume let's assume 30%. It's easier to 30%, calculate. Because it's easier to calculate. So yeah. you'd have a tax liability of 30 and you would then um, utilize your FITO against that of 15. And so the company would pay a further, further amount of Australian tax being that extra $15 top-up tax effectively. Yeah, but that's the question. Would the company receive a FITO? My understanding was the company doesn't receive a FITO because the FITO can't go into the franking credit account. I think it does receive a FITO, but obviously to the extent that it's reduced your tax liability, then you're not paying Australian tax. And so the only the only amount that's generated in your franking account is the additional 15 that's paid to of effectively a top up, right? Ah, oh, I'm with you. Okay, so the company still gets the FITO. So the yep. company just pays $15 top up tax. Everything is still fine. The problem yep. is when the dividends are distributed, then suddenly this FITO that was paid is not in the franking credit. Correct. Account, hence, hence. Country. Yep. So following our example, the company has received $85 cash. It's put that and applied its FITO. It has a further 15 of Australian tax to pay. So it has $70 in the bank, which it then distributes, and it can only attach $15 of franking credits to that. So there is a slightly less efficient uh, and what's in terms the, of after-tax position. And what's the accessible income that the uh, shareholder needs to include? Is it is it the gross? It would still be the $100, wouldn't it? No, I, th I think under the gross of the franking, so the shareholder, I'm doing it on a bit of paper in front of me, would take the 70 cash that they receive. They would gross that up by the franking credits. So that would be so it would 80, only be 85. 85, and then it would work out, let's assume your tax. Sorry, I have to get a calculator because my maths isn't. Uh, assume they've, So they've got 85, assuming they're paying tax of 47 cents in the dollar. So they have tax on that 85 due of 39.95. They get the franking credit of 15 across that. So they have a further tax liability of 24 on my math, 24.95 to pay on that. So then 70 less, 24.95. So they end up with $45.05 in the hand yeah. of the original 100. That, I guess, is the example that confirms your your point around sort of individual versus trust versus company and that there's a few more quirks with the company. Yes. So the bottom line is basically, or the lesson of the day is basically, if you want to invest in shares overseas that do withholding like the US, then invest as an individual, invest through a trust, but don't invest through an Australian company because you lose the withholding tax. Yeah. I mean, there's withholding tax leakage. There's, I mean, tax isn't the be all and end all. So there's other, plenty of other reasons why you might want to invest through a company um, and not invest in your individual name. So tax isn't the sum, but from certainly from a pure tax perspective that, that there are inefficiencies through investing through a company, mainly because of the way our franking system basically encourages people to pay Australian tax rather than foreign tax. And then there's an additional layer of complexity to all of that where we move away from, from John and his sort of portfolio investments and through a platform and Australian listed stocks to sort of Australian entities setting up offshore structures and then what happens because then there's further complications because you effectively start having all sorts of exemptions for repatriating profits to Australia under sections like subdivision 768A, which exempts 
non-portfolio dividends received by companies from foreign subsidiaries. So if you have an Australian company that owns 10% or more of a foreign company and that foreign company pays a dividend, that dividend is non-assessable, non-exempt income in the hands of the Australian company, so it won't pay any further Australian tax on that. But then that turns off its right to a FITO on any withholding tax. Then you've got to work that through to the next stage if that Australian company then distributes those profits, what sort of happens with with franking and things like that. Likewise, you need to start thinking about the other the other thing we haven't touched upon is it's reasonably simple where the entity that you're investing in is a, um, a company and is recognized as a company, but uh, there's all sorts of strange vehicles out there that come across my desks like US LLCs, US REITs, sometimes people hold structures in the US through look through entities and in, in the Caymans, for example, as Caymans Limited Partnerships and Cayman LLCs is popular for US investors. So sometimes if I've got clients that if they want to invest into a US business or target there that they need to look at investing through one of those structures. So then that imposes layers complexity into it. Australia has, and a lot of other jurisdictions play a lot more nicely with what we call tax transparent vehicles and what Australia does. So you'll see a prolification in the US of LLCs and LLPs and the US has what's called a whole check the box regime where certain companies can elect to be disregarded for US tax purposes. If they do that, then the US will look to the shareholders pay tax on the profits of that company. So for example, if you're an Australian individual investing into a US LLC that is elected to be disregarded for US tax purposes, then the US will be expecting you as as the member of that LLC to be lodging US tax returns and paying US tax on the profits of that company. And then from an Australian tax perspective, you need to work out how all of that works. Does that mean that you need to look at Division 830 in Australia and our foreign hybrid rules to see whether we we recognise the transparent nature of that entity or whether we tax it as a company, in which case there might be a mismatch. Then if it is a flow through under Division 830, then does that mean that you've got a permanent establishment or a branch in the US, in which case you need to look at 23AH and whether the profit's coming back out of that branch uh, uh, non-assessable, non-exempt under that section. If it is transparent and you are deemed under 830 to effectively be a partnership and a, a partner in a partnership, then that sort of might remove your dividend withholding tax because presumably that foreign jurisdiction won't be looking for any withholding tax on payments from an LLC or a transparent entity where it's disregarded to its members. So there's mm-hmm. all sorts of um, fascinating quirks that you can throw into the mix outside of a very simple example of a of, of John buying shares in Apple, so to speak. Okay, so with John, it's very straightforward. As an individual or a trust, you probably don't have withholding tax leakage. If you invest through a company, you have withholding tax leakage. But if you don't invest into a brackets normal NASDAQ listed company, but for example, you invest into a US LLC or other vehicles, then of course it gets a lot more complicated. And of course, if you invest into a UK company, then you can use whatever you like because there's no, with- or, well, as, as far as this point goes, because there's no withholding tax. So the other question is if John decides to sell his shares in the US company or in his US investments, uh, I guess the, f- the first question is, is there any foreign tax payable on any gains he makes? Uh, so that's a question for the foreign jurisdiction as to whether or not they will impose CGT. Australia obviously has a regime that exempts 
basically non-residents from paying CGT on on the equivalent in Australia unless it's a land-rich company. So let's assume the company, John, and there's ex- exemptions for portfolio holdings. So again, if John's just investing a tiny piece of Apple, it's unlikely that I think there'll be any US a CGT, but if he's got a sizable, let's say 15% interest in a land holding company in the US and he sells that, then it's likely the US will charge capital gains tax on that. And so the question becomes with respect to the foreign capital gains tax that John has paid, does he get a FITO for that against his Australian liability on that same gain? And that's where the Burton decision that came out, I think 2019 now, leads to a strange outcome in that the, the way the US taxes capital gains for foreign residents uh, in those circumstances is that they charge quite a low rate of tax. So let's say it's 21% tax on the whole gain. Uh, the way Australia does that is we tax half the gain at the whole, the way our CGT discount rules work is that you tax half the gain um, at your normal marginal rate. So you pay 47%, but only on half the gain. So a lot of people talk about the effective rate being 23.5%, which isn't that different. But when it comes to calculating FIDOs, what the ATO and the court ultimately upheld was that because under the Australian rules, half of the gain isn't subject to Australian tax, John in those circumstances would only be able to claim a credit for half of the US income tax he paid. So it's a bit of a strange way of doing it and really revolves around the strange way that we apply our CGG discount rules. Because it seems a bit odd that if you're talking about the same game and John's paid $21 US tax on it, you would think normally he would just claim a credit for that $21. But the reality is he might even be able to claim a credit for half of that. If it's just some Apple shares he sells, then it's yep. just 15% on the gain or not even withholding tax on the gain? I, d- I don't know. You have to ask the US. I don't. Th- I suspect there'll be something that means that there's only very limited circumstances in which the US will charge foreigners capital gains tax as Australia does so if John just sells a few Apple shares then there is a chance that that the US doesn't charge tax on the gain hence the gain comes untaxed to Australia and is then just taxed like any other capital gain in Australia yeah yeah you just have to check the US position I didn't have time before this to to bottom it out but I'm pretty sure Take Australia, for example, you're only taxed on, a non-resident's only taxed on the disposal of shares on an Australian company if they hold more than 10% of that company and it's effectively land-rich. So 50% or more of the market value of its assets are taxable Australian real property under Division 855. So I imagine, and that designed to sort of mimic other regimes, so you would expect the US rules to have something similar to that. Welcome back. So investing in overseas shares through a company has two disadvantages. One, you don't receive the 50% CGT discount because that is the way it is. Companies don't qualify. And two, you have withholding tax leakage, meaning you don't get franking credits for the withholding tax your company pays. In the next episode, episode 285, Clint Harding will talk about expanding your business overseas. For example, let's say you have an e-commerce business selling products in Australia and now you want to have stock and staff placed in a different country to serve the market over there. What are the GST and tax implications? This is what we will discuss next time. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.